Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. They all end up going back to wherever it is they came from. The phrase had become Amy's go-to quote for the many journalists who'd started skulking into her store. They loved that quote. The reporter standing opposite her in his linen shirt with the rolled up sleeves, the typical uniform visitors seemingly thought was a requirement in the town, pushed his dictaphone across the shop counter and probed for more sound bites about the gentrification of paradise from a cranky local. Oh God, Amy thought. At 36, when had she become a cranky local? It could probably be traced back to the day the town introduced paid parking meters. Cranky locals hated parking meters. Really, they just hated anything that stopped them from living their lives the way they'd always done. Cranky locals liked their routines. Cranky locals didn't like change. Cranky locals got very worked up when other people who were not true locals told them what to do. But wasn't that everyone? James Weir writes a satirical Sunday column that has been syndicated across Australia in the Sunday Telegraph, Sunday Herald Sun, Sunday Mail, and on the news.com.au and New Zealand Herald websites. Today, I'm talking to James Weir about his very first novel, The Hemsworth Effect. James Weir, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks for having me. James, you're very well known for writing satirical critiques of reality TV, Married at First Sight and Farmer Wants a Wife, just to name a few. And The Hemsworth Effect is, well, an epic work of fiction on the same subject. Is reality TV irresistibly low-hanging fruit, just begging to be picked? Oh, I think uh, when it comes to the um, the topic of reality TV and fictionalising it, it was very actually similar to taking on uh, a location or an environment like Byron Bay. I think both those different worlds, reality TV, a town like Byron Bay, um, they come with a lot of stereotypes. And so I think where the real challenge is and the challenge to really be funny is to not bow down to those stereotypes necessarily, but put a spin on them and maybe challenge them in different ways or look for elements of um, surprise that you can spike them with. It's such a superficial beast, but to use it to actually inspire positive change in someone, whether they like it or not, really interested me. That idea of someone who really hates reality TV, does not operate in that world, um, doesn't know anything about it, but this thing, this beast, reality TV has shouldered its way and elbowed its way into her life. Um, and that's really kind of been the thing that not only pushes her along, but gets her out of the problem that we find her in. And it's interesting that the main character here, Amy, as, as you say, is elbowed into this thing. But for most people, reality TV is something that they take up by choice. And I wondered, despite all the mostly negative outcomes, why do people still do it? Because people think they can beat the system. Having written millions of words on it and watched thousands of hours on, uh, of these kinds of shows, you know, the question always does come up of why on earth would people still sign up uh, to be on this show when they know that it could affect their lives negatively? They won't win. We know that there's editing. We know that people get what's called the villain edit, where they get turned into the villain by the editors and producers. Um, why do people still keep signing up for it? And it's purely because people think, well, that's not going to happen to me. I can outsmart all that. I can beat the system. Okay, I know how to win this game. 
Um, so that's why you constantly see people people going on it. And, and the kind of the benefits to them and the potential to win, like what do they win? Well, they win attention, they win followers, maybe money, um, maybe fame um, or notoriety. And that to them, the offer and the potential to secure that is like uh, they're willing to make the risk if it means that they can get that. My next question, I've got to put a little disclaimer before I put the question to you. Reality TV makes me physically sick. So mm, there we go. Join the club, Greg. Join the club. <laughs> I spend most of my days feeling sick. <laughs> Despite that, or possibly because of that, I really enjoyed the Hemsworth effect. And even though I despised just about everybody and everything in it, you rather brilliantly recreated that really cringeworthy universe. The Hemsworth effect is obviously satirical, but there, could there be any other way to write about reality TV? I don't think there is. I think that's kind of just the natural tone of the conversation, certainly in my approach to it and um, and the people who I hang around with and work with, you know, the approach is always to kind of look at shows like this with a bit of a raised eyebrow, because I mean, if something's ridiculous, well, and everyone's thinking it's ridiculous, then there's no way around it. You've got to say that it's ridiculous, right? Um, but it's like what I was saying earlier, where it's kind of, I think you've got to kind of take it for what it is and present it that way. Um, but you've got to look for those opportunities to surprise um, or to sort of spin it a little bit. How do you use it sometimes more as a device, you know, so that even if people hate reality TV and they would, wouldn't be caught dead watching a show, you want the storyline in the book to still be appealing to everyone. And that's kind of what I learned over the last close to 10 years now, I've been writing the reality TV column. And a lot of the feedback that I've gotten ever since I started it was that you get a lot of people who love reality TV and who watch those shows, they read the columns and the recaps, but mostly you get people who don't watch the shows reading the recaps. And that's something that I really wanted to harness with this book. It's, you know, how do you, how do you take that subject matter of reality TV and make it appealing for people um, who love the show, but more importantly, who hate those shows? How do you kind of comfort them a little bit? Can you reassure me, are we all living vicariously through reality TV? Or is it more like that bloody and fatal roadside car crash that we can't look away from? Oh, I know. The uh, <laughs> the car crash TV and everyone's kind of craning their necks to turn as they drive by. I think it can be a little bit of both, but I was having coffee um, with a mate early today and we were talking about that that world um, of reality TV and influencers and, and all that stuff because it's so foreign to many of us. We don't operate in that space. Everyone likes to kind of make fun of it. But she was saying, are we the idiots for making fun of it or laughing at it? You know, maybe these people are the geniuses and they figured out the, the answer to life and the way to live. And all these people are, you know, going on TV shows and hanging out at parties and getting paid to post on Instagram. So maybe they've figured out the secret to life. Maybe we're the idiots, Greg. Could be. <laughs> Let's get on to the book, The Hemsworth Effect. What is The Hemsworth Effect? It's a phrase that came up a lot uh, in my interviews that I was doing with a lot of the Byron locals when I was up there uh, one or two summers ago um, to write a series of columns um, that then inspired actually the Hemsworth Effect, the novel. Um, I'd spent a few weeks up there in January, just after the first round of like the pandemic had hit that year. We'd had the lockdowns. There were still border closures. The international borders were shut. No one could go on their big fancy holidays that they'd usually go on. Um, and Byron had been in the news a lot because the Hemsworths, obviously, and a lot of the movie studios in Hollywood couldn't film in Hollywood. So they were sending a lot of their projects out to film around the Byron hinterland. And just with that kind of attention and, and celebrification, that attracted a lot of the influencers 
Um, and then a lot of people from Sydney and Melbourne actually started moving up there. It was just this, uh, you know, swirling kind of mess of tension that was building of just, you know, the people who'd, who'd lived there for either since childhood or maybe even second generation, like the protagonist in the book, Amy, um, and these newbies who were trying to recreate everything they'd seen on Instagram. And the more I spoke to locals, a phrase that, um, you know, several of them used was that it's the Hemsworth effect is what they were blaming. It's the Hemsworth effect. You know, Chris Hemsworth moved to town. He built the house that's now known as Byron Bay Westfield because it's so massive. Um, and, and with that, it created this effect that then attracted everyone. And then their, their property prices skyrocketed. People could no longer afford their rent. And then it just kind of went from there. So that's what, that's what a lot of the locals call their Hemsworth effect. Chris Hemsworth is not as evil as I am, but if I were Chris and I had that kind of money and time on my hands, I would just do it to all the towns up and down the coastline just to, just to see what, how much power I really have. Like, can I, can I destroy Malula Bar single-handedly by buying a house? <laughs> Let's get right into the locals, which this story is all about, and particularly Amy Maguire. She's the central character, but I refer to her as the victim of this story. And the other name she acquires is Byron Karen, and Australians will be familiar with that tag. She's 36 years old and runs the Dream Explosion Bookshop. Now, that's a difficult enterprise even at the best of times. But Amy's got a dilemma. She's got a problem, actually more than one problem, but also an opportunity. What's happening to Amy? What isn't happening to Amy? Her look, much like the uh, the name of her bookstore, The Dream Explosion, her life is exploding um, and everything that she kind of dreamt to be true. Um, it's just kind of like falling away just right in front of her. Um, her bookstore is getting sold out from underneath her, so she can't afford to pay the rent. Um, her fiancé, the guy who she's been dating since high school, he wants a time out over the summer where they, they stop seeing each other, have a break, they can sleep with other people just to kind of reset and to see whether they actually still want to be together. So that's thrown her for a loop. Her niece comes to town. Um, it kind of brings up a whole bunch of emotions uh, to do with, you know, the backstory of Amy and her family. And then on top of all of that, a reality show comes to town um, and it just kind of, again, accelerates the chaos and the tension. And she's finds herself in the middle of it, having to deal with it. Um, and she just kind of sinks deeper and deeper into it. Amy's about to undergo a transformation. The challenge seems to be either embrace the change or hold on to her lifestyle and, and her principles. Uh, it doesn't seem to help that she's surrounded by a, a fairly motley crew of fairly useless friends until along comes Freya. Now, Freya is Amy's niece and a micro-influencer who's actually part of the reality TV show that's being filmed in Byron, The Brats of Byron Bay. What solution does Freya offer up to Amy? to come on board the reality show. Freya's 21, so she's kind of at that age where she doesn't really see, I don't think, the negatives in it. She's really only seeing the positives and probably from a more younger, maybe just a little bit self-centered point of view because she wants to do it. You know, she doesn't see the nuance of what her aunt's going through um, or the the internal struggles or the, or the sort of deeper feelings that Amy has about things like this in the world. She thinks like, come on, just do it for a summer, it'll be fine. And I should say that at, at that point um, where, where Freya, the niece, is trying to get Amy to do this, Amy has just become Byron Karen in the town, uh, known nationally, uh, because there was a big, big protest on the beach in Byron with all the locals protesting this new reality show. And Amy gets pulled into it against her will on that night's news bulletin. The kind of internet has branded her Byron Karen. And so she kind of just, I don't know, gets this alter ego of Byron Karen. And that's why the reality TV show producers 
want to bring Amy on to be with Frey because they kind of like this idea of this aunt niece girl team um, with with Byron Karen bringing a kind of topical edge to the show and they want to capitalize on it and Amy's just completely horrified uh, but they offer a lot of money and I love this quote from Amy I'm gonna get screwed over I just know it that's as she's signing the contract with the TV reality show Rats of Byron Bay isn't that the case for everybody everybody gets screwed over <laughs> it is everyone gets screwed over and she knows it you know she is a little bit sort of cynical so there was always the kind of challenge in writing amy to get her to make choices but in her style to believably sign the contract to go on a tv show that she hates you know and how do you get her to sign on well you offer enough money because she needs it but even then she's got morals how do you do it and you kind of just beat her down to the point where well i'm gonna get screwed over anyway you know like I was already getting screwed over by the world, but I guess I could get, I could get screwed over in this new way, but at least I'll get money for it. And <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe then things will be fine, but it still won't be, but whatever. It seemed to me that her only other option was to move to the town of Casino. And I, I've been to Casino and I thought, gee, no offence to residents of Casino, that would have to be your last resort. That was a last, it, it was a total last resort because, and that's actually the struggle that's happening in the town at the moment is a lot of the locals, um, you know, they, who have been there for years, um, they will, they rent. And then the owners of those properties go to sell the houses and they've got nowhere to live. And because the boom has been slowly, but surely happening for a number of years, the little surrounding areas like down in Ballina, um, which is about a 30 minute drive away where the airport is to get to Byron, you know, that's where people were kind of going to, to try and get affordable housing. But now even that's kind of boomed because that's close enough to Byron for other people, for, you know, for out-of-towners to buy in there and still say that they live in Byron. And so all these, are, you know, OG locals, um, they're getting shoved further and further out. Um, and so, yeah, Casino, she gets told is maybe, you know, if you still want to stay in the region, maybe go to Casino. And Amy does not want to go to Casino. The name sounds a little bit more uh, razzle-dazzle than the reality of it, Greg. <laughs> now, the Hemsworth effect is also a love story. We've spoken about Tim her ex-boyfriend, I suppose. They're on a break. But then into the shop walks the Irish-accented Jules. Does he have the power to alter Amy's life or just a short-term solution in the form of an Irish accent? <laughs> the thing about Jules is he needed to, he needed to seem kind of sweet but dangerous and dreamy and just that kind of fling or guy that Amy never had the chance to have because she's been, you know, she's engaged to the guy who she started dating in high school. It's about getting Amy to, to, to make these choices and to pursue these things but still make it believable with her character. And because her fiancé or ex-fiancé Tim has asked for the time out, she's feeling very bruised about this. And, you know, the deal is that they can hook up with people on this, on this timeout break. Um, and she doesn't want to because she's kind of upset and hurt about it. So it's kind of, I needed to introduce someone in there who was almost so irresistible and so outside of her world um, that she felt comfortable because Amy has so many sources of pain and frustration. Um, and a big one for her is that she's so known in this town, you know, to her, it's a small town. Everyone knows her. And everyone kind of, they love her, but they judge her in the way that kind of a family would, I think, with, you know, a lot of the locals who she lives with. They kind of, they tease her and she's just kind of fed up with people just commenting on her life. Um, and so when this opportunity came up to have this fling, it really needed to be outside of, yeah, outside of that atmosphere that she exists in and where people wouldn't judge and wouldn't know. And that's what makes Jules so enticing because 
he, you know, he's just, he's a blow in. He's only there for the summer for reasons I won't go into, um, but he's living in a caravan out in a field somewhere. And he also kind of introduces her to the, the bohemian side of, of Byron Bay that people go there for, that she's avoided all her life. You know, she's kind of always avoided the stereotype, but he kind of brings her into it a little bit. But it also is that thing that pushes her along the change. There's also a bit of a moral to this story. And it, for me, it went along the lines of, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, and that made me think, should we all just give up and give in to reality TV? Or is the rational and the cynical being that I hope resides in all of us, is that enough to fortify and insulate us from the worst of the consequences? I think... I think the moral is, I don't think it's if you can't beat them, join them, although I do like that and I wish that was on the cover. Uh, if, you can, the the fact, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, the moral that I was constantly aware of and that I wanted to always kind of be present um, in, every, in kind of every chapter and every scene of the book was this, this idea of change and this idea of letting go. Everyone around Amy is trying to, in their own way, trying to get her to change and they're trying to get her to stop white knuckling this life that she's holding on to that really doesn't exist anymore. It's uh, it's fear, it's loss, it's grief, it's all of this stuff. Um, and she just doesn't want to change. But as one of the characters tells her, um, and he's talking about the reality show when he's telling her this, but really it was more of a message more broadly for her life, is that you got to learn to let go of the plan. That's really where Amy's going to find happiness is when she learns to let go of the plan of what she thought things would look like. Amy's life is changing just like the town is, you know, and you can't stop it. James, great pleasure to talk to you and thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks for having me and thank you for the thoughtful questions. I've been talking to James Weir about his new book, The Hemsworth Effect. It's published by Simon & Schuster and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.